It's just a different party. It's a party that matters. It's a party where you're not getting drunk and, you know, uh, you know, trying to go home with a pretty boy or a pretty girl. Um, you're, you know, you're coming to the party with a heart and a positioning that cares about others, that sees needless suffering in the world and says, I can reject the apathy that might be so easy to succumb to when it comes to any paralyzing global issue. And I could do something. This week on the Courageous Podcast, we were joined by the founder of Charity Water, Scott Harrison, and he shared a pretty radical story of how he went from one end of the spectrum to the other and really found his purpose. Yeah, I can't believe Charity Water has now been around for 15 years, like the 15th anniversary is next year, but Scott took us back to when he was promoting nightclubs in that moment where he was like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not satisfied on the inside and it's odd to see him go but a little bit from like promoting nightclubs to promoting clean water, but how, how those skills actually translate from one to the other. Yeah. Scott's sees recognized. I mean, he was Forbes 40 under 40. Um, one of the fastest growing companies in America and they're doing great things, but it all started with him just giving everything up and really just finding himself and finding something that, that he believed in and, and really making a big pivot in his life. It was also cool to hear what's next for Charity Water, which we address later in the episode. Enjoy. We are here bright and early. I know this is, this is typical for the California kids to say bright and early. It's 7 a.m. over here, but when Scott Harrison gives you 45 minutes, you, you, you take it. And so I'm taking our 45 minutes. How you doing, Scott? Good to be here, man. Thanks, uh, thanks so much This is a for pretty me on. Good- Pretty pretty big episode for you because this is a, you have a new mic you're playing around with. Correct? I, I do, I do. You want to see it? Look at yeah, that. See this thing. Oh, what, wow, what? Scarlet Studio. He sounds good. He sounds really good. Yeah, we may have to get a couple of those. Yeah, it, it's funny they uh, they start raising the prices of these things on Amazon. So uh, we we had a friend up here and and she was doing a podcast and she let me use the mic and then I think I paid double on Amazon what she paid for it two months earlier. <laughs> The, hey, dynamic pricing, right? Way to go, Amazon. Right. So actually, you know, the last time we spoke, you actually were gracious enough to come on our Courageous Action Chat, which is sort of a conversation in Zoom. Michael Thatcher was the CEO of, of or is the CEO of, of um, Charity Navigator was there as well. And you had just moved to Pennsylvania. I mean, you were living yeah. in New York City. We were kind of at the beginning of quarantine. And I'm assuming you're in Pennsylvania still? We are. We, we officially moved out of New York City. Uh, 26 years in New York City, and, and we're going to take a season in the country and uh, expose our kids to a very different way of life. How's it been so far? They love it. They love it. I mean, you know, we went from a two-bedroom, you know, 1,200-square-foot apartment in Tribeca to a couple hundred acres and an old 1930s farmhouse uh, with a pond and deer in the front yard we saw a black bear in the backyard uh it's uh you know my wife got 20 chickens i mean we're going for it (laughs) do you miss the sushi you know i've really enjoyed the cooking and the grilling and you know we've been eating some venison uh that's that's from the property and i don't know we're 
don't know if you know much about the Enneagram, but I've got, uh, I've got some seven in me. So I'm, I'm always open for new experiences and mm-hmm. really trying to uh, expose my kids to something very different than sirens and city living. So they're really, they're really enjoying it. I think that's great, Scott. Can you, can you just tell us a little bit, maybe take us back to, to what got you to New York in the first place? Yeah, I moved to New York when I was 18 or 19, uh, really as an act of rebellion against my very conservative Christian upbringing. Uh, my mom was an invalid uh, from the time that I was four. Uh, there was a, a freak accident uh, in our family. There was actually a carbon monoxide gas leak in our house. And that just devastated her health, you know, knocked out her immune system. So I grew up as a caregiver, really helping to take care of mom, go to church, I uh, didn't smoke, didn't drink, you know, didn't sleep around, didn't cuss. And then 18, 19 happened and I discovered this uh, crazy place called Manhattan that was only about an hour and a half away and just moved to the city. I was in a band at the time. Uh, the band broke up, but then I became a nightclub promoter. and wound up actually doing that for the next 10 years, working at 40 different top nightclubs in Manhattan you know, selling the uh, $20 cocktails and $1,000 bottles of champagne to the models and celebrities and bankers. Uh, and, you know, lived, lived a kind of fast life in New York, drove the BMW, had the silly watch and the grand piano in my midtown loft and, you know, thought I was, thought I was the man uh, flying around the world of fashion week and dating models that were on the cover of magazines and you know, partying with the... Uh, you know, the, the people who were in the magazines and, the, and on TV. And, you know, after about 10 years of that, uh, I realized I was not the man. In fact, I was probably the worst man that I knew. I'd become uh, a, a kind of hollow, selfish, degenerate version of myself, spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt. And the only thing I'd actually done for 10 years is just get people drunk and party. And I just you know, kind of had a, a moment of uh, catharsis and a crisis of faith, a crisis of conscience and, and wanted to make a life change, uh, a radical life change. And that was at 28. And that eventually led me to uh, sell everything I owned, leave New York City for a country in West Africa that I'd never even heard of before called Liberia and join a humanitarian medical operation uh, that was sending a group of doctors and surgeons to post-war Liberia right after this terrible 14-year civil war had ended. So it was kind of, a, a, you know, a, a, an extreme life change going from, you know, this, this very fast life in New York to a country with no electricity and no running water and no sewage system and one doctor for every 50,000 people that lived in the country. But then seeing the transformative, redemptive, uh, important work that these volunteer medical professionals were doing. And uh, yeah, that wound up being uh, really the, the, the big change in life that I needed at the time. How, I mean, that's such a major change and, and such a 180 and a big pivot. Two things. One, how long did it take for you to get out of this spiritual, emotional bankruptcy um, by giving back? And two, what how do you make a decision like that? How do you face like such a big life decision and just get up and go? What did that do for you? Well, I think it started with hating my current life and, and really, you know, almost a rock bottom. Um, and again, 
you know, this wasn't a financial rock bottom. You know, I'd been having some health issues probably related to massive amounts of cocaine, you know, even though the doctors couldn't really figure out why parts of my body were just going numb. <laughs> probably the most, you know, two packs of cigarettes a day and, you know, lots of, you know, Ill illegal drugs at the time. But I, I, I got to the point where I, I wanted the opposite of my life. And then I just tried to find the opportunity for that. And, you know, to be quite honest, I mean, I, I applied to 10 different humanitarian organizations and only one took me. So <laughs> I didn't have a lot of choice, Ryan. I just said, okay, if you'll take me, uh, here I am. And, you know, I could have wound up in Sudan or Cambodia or India or, you know, really, really anywhere. And I think fortunately for me, I wound up in this amazing place, uh, which at the time was the, the poorest country in the world. But I wound up surrounded by these uh, compassionate interesting, uh, competent doctors and surgeons uh, who were really bringing the best of themselves to, to serve others. And I just fell in love with maybe the, the radically opposite lifestyle or the radically opposite intention for life. Uh, if previously it was all about, you know, the girls and the parties and the drinking and the, you know, being seen at the right you know, in the right chair at some fashion show. Yeah, these are people who cared about the exact opposite things. How many people could they help? How many people could they serve? How much suffering could they end? And, you know, that it, I had signed up for a year and then I just signed up for a second year. So it wound up being kind of this two-year in-between moment in my life from 28 years old to 30 uh, that then led me to to start Charity Water at 30. Uh, but But I really never looked back. I mean, there was... There was a, a very clear, finite moment where I gave up all the drugs and the smoking and the, you know, the heavy drinking and all that. I remember before I, so I was going to be living on a huge hospital ship. So this was a 522-foot converted cruise liner, a uh, cruise liner that had been converted into a massive 42-bed state-of-the-art hospital with MRIs and CT scans and operating theaters, uh, again, in a country where there was just no electricity. So you can imagine what the healthcare, it was just non-existent. So, you know, I, um, I, th there, was, there was something, you know, prophetic or symbolic about the idea of walking up the gangway, you know, the, the gangway being lifted and entering my new home and then sailing away to a new continent uh, and to a new life. So I went out with a bang. I think I smoked 60 cigarettes that night before and I drank eight or nine beers and turned up with a hangover, uh, apparently reeking of alcohol when I surrendered my passport and became an official volunteer crew member. But then I just walked away from that and it was surprisingly easy. Uh, I never smoked again. I never touched Coke or gambled again or, um, you know, any of that stuff. We just kind of walked away from the former lifestyle and, and embraced the new. I was going to ask you, like, but what was the club scene like over there? But maybe we won't go down that. Yeah, path. no, there wasn't a club <laughs> scene. I did actually, in Benin, West Africa, put on a jazz event. I met some amazing uh, jazz musicians and I brought them on the ship. And I, I put together a, uh, a club event where there was a cover and all the money went to, to help these musicians and they were fantastic. So, so I, you know, uh, much, much tamer, of course, Ryan, you know, there was, uh, I, you weren't even allowed to drink on the ship. I mean, it was a very, uh, very conservative uh, environment, but I love that. It was, it was, it was really what I needed. And I, I, I think just, you know, thinking of, 
I, I don't think of it as a courageous move. Uh, I think of it as, as you know, <laughs> I didn't have many options, to be quite honest. I mean, I, I'd applied to a bunch of places and one person said yes. And then I just did follow that opportunity. But I think one of the things that was really important in me changing my life so radically and, and maybe walking away from this unbelievably hedonistic, selfish, sycophantic life of vice was that my environment changed so dramatically. I'm not sure I would have been strong enough, you know, if I was just trying to do this moral, spiritual life change, but I was still partying every night. You know, I still had to fill up a club with a thousand people between midnight and four in the morning. So the, the, the change in environment couldn't have been more extreme. And, you know, I mean, this is, a, this, this is a group of people that got up at six in the morning and prayed that God would give them the strength to compassionately help as many people as possible with their gifts. You know, I mean, I was going home at six in the morning or I was going to an after hours in my former life. So I think, you know, people ask me sometimes, for advice, maybe, you know, I've hit rock bottom or I hate my life. I'm like, I, I think the change of environment is really important. You know, if your friends are all out doing drugs, like you need new friends if you want to stop doing drugs. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Someone once said to me, and I've brought this on the show before, Ryan, uh, but it takes you 40 years to figure out who you are in the next 40 to be that person. And uh, yeah, sometimes... Sometimes New York can speed you up. You know, I did seven years in the city. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I never ran clubs. Although so, so some of my friends, I definitely did a little bit of club in that space. But, but like you did, you had a whole life. You had a whole life in the city, yeah. and, and like, and here you are. And so as you, as you go into your this new life, and is it is it just like you're you're thirty years old, and you're going, why not me? Or like this work is important, and why charity water for you? Well, I, I came, you know, I saw a lot of stuff when I was in Liberia. I, I spent time in a leprosy colony. I saw people with missing faces, uh, flesh-eating disease, you know, horrible uh, disfiguration from rebel soldiers who would pour oil, uh, you know, over children trying to fuse body parts together. I mean, I saw unthinkable horrors and suffering uh, really sounded by, with, with kind of a medical lens or a medical context. But one of the things that just stuck with me was seeing children drink dirty water from swamps. Uh, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. You know, there were ponds around us. And I, I, it never occurred to me to walk into a green, slimy, you know, bug-infested swamp and start drinking the water. And I learned that half of the country didn't have clean water to drink. And then I learned that half of the disease half of the sickness in the country was because of that, because people didn't have clean water and the lack of sanitation. So I really came to the issue of water or, or it came to maybe try to tackle the water crisis through this medical lens. And the, the chief medical officer just said to me simply one day, he said, if you really care about health, you're not going to help us raise the next 80 or $90 million to put another hospital ship in the water that can help thousands of people a year, you'd go bring millions of people clean water uh, and therefore bring health to millions of people. So he really challenged me to tackle this bigger global health issue, uh, which at the time there were a billion people on the planet, 1.1 or 1.2 billion people on the planet. It was 1.2. Uh, 
uh, 1.2 billion people on the planet at the time that didn't have access to clean water. You know, shocking statistic. It's crazy because, I mean, I think being born here, you take that for granted, right? We're, we're very lucky and very privileged to, to have the things we have. And you put yourself in this new situation, new environment, and you, you see a need. So what has that entire process been like in, in bringing Charity Water to life? And it's been 15 years now, right? Or 15 years uh, We're in plus. 14. Yeah, close. 14. Okay. So, I mean, from, from day one to now, what, what's that entire process been like? Has it, has it been fast? Has it been slow? I'm sure it's been hard. I'm sure there's been up and ups and downs, but can you just share a little bit about, you know, having a yeah. passion like that and chasing it and what that's been like? That's a big question. I, I wrote 200,000 words on that, that my editor turned into a hundred thousand. Yeah. I mean, look, I, uh, at the beginning, I just had no idea what I was doing. And I think the naivety and the idealism really served me well. Uh, I was a 30 year old kid hot off this two year experience in West Africa, surrounded by amazing humanitarians. And I thought I could be one, I could change the world. And I had, you know, maybe 40 or 50 years left that I could throw 40 or 50 years of energy and intention that I could throw at a problem. And I picked a big problem, uh, water. And then I don't know, like, like most entrepreneurs, you just start, uh, you know, I was listening to some of the master scale episodes recently and yeah, it's amazing how small, you know, the Airbnbs or the Ubers of the world, you know, start or the Casper, you know, you just you sell one mattress or you rent out your couch. And, you know, for me, it was throwing a party and asking people to give 20 bucks to build a well. Uh, and that's all I knew at the time. So I did, I knew this new hot club that was opening up. It was fashion week. I got the owners to give us the whole club for free. Uh, then give us open bar as a way of luring people there. And then 700 people came and they gave 20 bucks to the door, uh, a little, little more, uh, some of them. And we had $15,000 at the end of that. And we took the $15,000 to a, a refugee camp in Northern Uganda. And we did our first couple of wells and we sent the photos and the GPS coordinates and video of clean water flowing because of $20 donations. And we sent it back to everybody that came to the party and said, you came and you did this, this happened. And that such a simple idea as closing the loop or showing people where their money had gone was, was actually powerful. <laughs> and it was actually something that people did not get from most charities. They didn't get this kind of immediate cause and effect loop. And we said, well, with technology, we should just be able to do this. If we build wells, let's take photos of every single one of them. Let's post satellite coordinates of every single well on Google Earth and Google Maps so people could see the actual pictures of the well from satellites as they're built to just know that the money is actually going into the ground, that it's accomplishing something. So a lot of the early ideas of Charity Water, which later proved to be unique or um, you know, maybe even competitive advantages, the 100% model, you know, this, this proof that, or this, this promise that 100% of all donations we would ever collect from the public would go directly to fund the water projects. That was just in response to me talking to a bunch of people that didn't know where their money went when they gave to charity and thought that too much was going to overhead and to pay 
CEO salaries or office costs or you know, business class flights around the world. And I said, well, what if we just said that 100% of your money went to build the water projects and help people get clean water and we promised to prove it? Would you give then? People said, yeah, that sounds amazing. So, you know, again, these ideas were not kind of master plans or, you know, any sort of, there was no business plan. We just tried stuff. And then we said, all right, well, okay, now who's going to pay our overhead? Because someone is going to have to pay the salaries and someone's going to have to pay for the Ethiopian air flight uh, and, and the office one day. And then we started going to wealthy entrepreneurs and business leaders and say, you, you know, the value of, of great team members and great talent. Will you help me hire my first water engineer? Will you help me hire my first web developer? Will you help me hire, you know, our first accountant or CFO? And it just really organically uh, evolved. And, you know, so if you fast forward 14 years later, I mean, now, you know, we raised $90 million last year. The org's about to, to close in on half a billion dollars uh, raised or, or given by over a million generous people from 140 countries around the world. So it's, you know, it's obviously evolved into something. But those core principles at the beginning that we almost lucked into are still true today. Uh, we still have two separate bank accounts that are audited by KPMG every year. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the way that we pay for our overhead and, you know, what's last year was almost 100 staff salaries, uh, 136 wealthy donors, wealthy families and entrepreneurs. And then that allows a million people to give into the water account and have all that money go directly to, to water projects. We're still proving every water point, you know, 14 years later, but now we've gone farther by putting GPS trackers on our drilling rigs and putting our rigs on Twitter and developing remote sensors, connecting wells to the cloud so they can self-report their functionality and how much water is flowing. So the, the ideas have maybe just been iterated on over, you know, a decade plus uh, with trial and error and, and with feedback. But, you know, it's, it, it's not that we, we really didn't do anything revolutionary. We just said, tell people where their money's going and they'll want to keep giving if they can see that their money's actually changing people's lives. I don't mean to be cute when I'm saying this. I actually mean this, but I'm curious to get your take on this. I mean, in some ways, do you still feel like you're throwing the world's biggest club party? It just happens to be for good and you're using all the skills you've learned in marketing and you're applying that to this arena. And when I think of like Ronos and that arena, I just feel like they're so far behind on, on the marketing side. Do you, do you feel that way at all? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I love that analogy. And I've, I've thought of that or the opportunity. I mean, we are inviting people to a party of generosity, of compassion. We are inviting people to bring the best parts of themselves to this party, which is a party that is ushering in a day when the entire world gets clean and safe water. And we're celebrating these wins together. We're celebrating the members of the community. We're celebrating the six-year-old kid who mailed us $8.15 of her allowance with a little note that says, I don't want children to die of bad water. We're celebrating the 89-year-old woman who donated her birthday and said, I've lived 89 years. I just want to make that possible for more people around the world. And I want to donate my birthday uh, to help people. So it's absolutely a party. You know, it's funny thinking about the spring um, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but the spring is our community of 
monthly subscribers, of monthly givers. So, you know, in the same way that uh, you might pay every month for Netflix or Spotify or Dropbox or Amazon Prime, uh, we have a community now of over 52,000 people that show up every single month giving 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, $100 a month, whatever they can for clean water. And they show up consistently and loyally. And, you know, I was just trying to imagine the other day, it's about two and a half Madison Square Gardens full of people. You know, so we've now filled up my local stadium in New York with, so if we invited them all to an event, I, I would need two and a half stadiums to kind of contain the generous people that have said yes to clean water. And that was, you know, 25,000 people 18 months ago. So they would have fit in, you know, they would have just overflowed one. So I, I do think about that. Like we're, we're I'm, you know, it's, it's just a different party. It's a party that matters. It's a party where you're not getting drunk and, you know, uh, you know, trying to go home with a pretty boy or a pretty girl, um, you're, you know, you're coming to the party with a heart and a positioning that cares about others, that sees needless suffering in the world and says, I can reject the apathy that might be so easy to uh, succumb to when it comes to any paralyzing global issue. And I could do something. I could give 30 or 40 bucks a month. I could build a well. I could donate my birthday. I could run a marathon and, and you know, raise some money for, for this cause. So, by the way, I should have said this, and this won't mean anything to our audio listeners, but I'm actually wearing Charity Water swag right now. I'm not sure this is this. Oh, nice. Oh, that's a, that is a comfortable. I don't I think you can this. get that anymore. I love this You know, this I don't sweatshirt. even have one of these. I, it, this bothers me. I never, through the years, kind of kept our early merch. I don't know that you can get that anymore, and it's the softest thing, and the best. Uh, I don't do you know. Send this back I, yeah. to you. Don't make me do it. I'll do no, it. No, 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 no. We can, we can make more. <laughs> I, I, I'm I feel you, like I should go. have a little box of swag through the uh, the last 14 years, but I'm people not very sentimental. It. Everywhere <laughs> people read this, everywhere I go. Every, seriously, and I do. I wear it a lot, yeah. which is odd that you'd think you'd be wearing sweatshirts in San Diego. I mean, our, our merch, our merch loses a few thousand dollars every year because we just give it away. <laughs> But it's, it's, we hear stories of, like the, uh, of that, you know, people at the gym wearing a, a water T-shirt and starting a conversation. So thanks for uh, using it to be a, an ambassador. Of course. And, you know, and, and um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, I mean, so we're obviously living it through this pandemic, which is one of the reasons sure. you, you, you moved to Pennsylvania. And I don't Doing know. this I, all day, like, like, like all of us. <laughs> and and you know, has your mission changed a little bit? Because it used to be about clean drinking water, and now every day we're told, wash your hands, wash your hands. Yeah. Wash. How does that play into all Yeah, that? yeah, sure. I mean, look, that's, that's again, such a, a multifaceted question. I mean, I can start with fundraising. I mean, fundraising has definitely taken a hit. Economic uncertainty is bad for fundraising. Uh, we lost millions and millions of dollars of corporate donations. Uh, many of our brand partners, you know, with businesses that themselves have been shut down completely for three or four months. Uh, many major donors pulling back on multi-million dollar giving just due to the uncertainty of their stock prices going forward, their donor advised fund, you know, wanting to just be a little more cautious. Uh, I will say the most encouraging thing has actually been the growth of the spring. So as we've been losing huge corporate donations, even more people have been stepping up at 30 or $40 a month. Uh, not quite enough to make up for that gap, but that, that group 
of committed, generous people uh, like, like the ones listening, you know, has, has really been helping us uh, kind of work towards this gap during the pandemic. Okay, now, now I'll kind of shift to the field. So that's fundraising. In the field, I mean, clean water is literally the first line of defense against the spread of COVID. And, and Charity Water works across 20 plus countries. We have 44 local partners. We employ over 1,300 locals uh, through our partners in each of these countries. And the stories that have been coming back, I mean, I've been on the phone with Nepal early in the morning, with Uganda, with Rwanda, uh, you know, j- just to give you a sense, I mean, we talk a lot here about hospital capacity and do we have enough ventilators or PPP? I mean, there's not a single ventilator in some of these countries. Not a single, you know, forget about uh, capacity. You know, there, there's, there's no capacity to handle, uh, you know, resp- a, a, a problem like this. So that's why the prevention has been so important. So across our portfolio, we've seen a mix. We've seen some partners just locked down with the whole country. No one's allowed to go anywhere, stay at home. In many other countries though, we've seen our partners effectively transition to become frontline healthcare workers using water and teaching social distancing. So in Ethiopia, our partners have been going out to charity water wells, building hand washing stations, teaching the community the importance of washing their hands uh, in, a, in a very different and new way, and then how to socially distance when they come to get water every day at the water point. So we've got these really cool photos coming back from Ethiopia of women, you know, queued up, sitting on their yellow jerry cans six feet apart, uh, waiting to use a hand washing station uh, right next to the well. Uh, so I, I think, you know, from an awareness, water has seen a lot of energy and traction over the, the last 14 years. You know, 14 years ago when I started and I was talking about people not having clean water, I mean, I'd, I'd get looked at like I had nine heads. You know, this is just not a problem that affected us. We, we have a little more of awareness now. There's been Flint, Michigan. There's been the drought in, in South Africa and India and, you know, California's water challenges. So we're, I think we're starting to have a little more awareness that this is an issue we need to pay attention to. Maybe this isn't something we just take for granted for the rest of our lives. Oh, and by the way, uh, now 785 million people don't have water. So a tenth of the planet is actually not just living with kind of water scarcity issues, but drinking dirty water today, drinking water that could kill them and kill their children uh, of preventable waterborne diseases. So I think the, the pandemic has helped uh, elevate people's appreciation of water as a resource, water uh, and, and just with a different spin on it, you know, water is a way to protect ourselves and keep ourselves healthy. I don't know about you. I mean, my family, I've got young kids, four and six. Uh, I've got uh, a wife. I've got her mom living with us and her grandparents and my dad. And, you know, we, we just kind of brought everybody out of New York City in the epicenter and, and said, let's, uh, you know, we're going to be working remotely anyway. Let's not do it in a two-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. Since we have all been washing our hands and now my kids just wash their hands like crazy, we haven't gotten as much as a cough or like temperature in four months. I mean, it's the healthiest our family has ever been. My kids would come home from school sick all the time. 
You know, there was always something running around. You know, we would get a 24-hour stomach bug or somebody's got a running nose or somebody's coughing, sneezing, you know. I mean, I actually think, you know, that's kind of an unintended consequence of practicing really great hygiene is that we're really healthy. Um, you know, that and obviously the, they're not in a little Petri dish in New York City public school. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think people are thinking about water a little more today, a little differently. And our message is just, it is needed now more than ever before for the 785 million people that don't have it. So please join Charity Water as, you know, we've now got 14 years of experience and 51,000 completed, you know, or water projects uh, completed and in progress across 28 countries for 11 million people. So we actually know how to do this. Uh, I heard a, a venture capitalist once, uh, a guy named Chris Saka, who was explaining Charity Water to a friend. And he's like, just give them your money. They just have this machine that turns it into clean water for people. <laughs> and, and in, you know, it's obviously not that simple. Uh, we fund 13 different technologies across the portfolio and we drill wells and dig wells and build million dollar gravity fed systems and $65 bio sand filters and rainwater harvesting systems in Rajasthan, India. So there's a lot of different ways to deliver clean and safe drinking water. But, you know, it, it often does seem so simple. Uh, you know, I've been to Ethiopia 30 different times and every time I see a million dollar drilling rig come in and, you know, a bunch of guys and gals jump off of the truck and start looking, basically stick a hole in the ground, drill 200 feet underneath the village that's never had water before, hit a massive aquifer and then build a well in a couple of days. You're like, was it really that easy? 10 grand, $12,000, you know, the cost of a, of a nice watch and 300 people now have a sustainable source of clean water. So, you know, I, I, I would hope that this would make our work easier going forward or would win even more people over to the importance of water for all humans, uh, regardless of where they were born. Well, you know, again, I think you're saying it's funny to say it's that simple, but I know you don't mean it. And actually, I've had great conversations with one of your team members, Christoph Gorder, who's yeah. a lovely guy. He's, he's very easy to talk to. And uh, we were talking about how a third of your of water systems are fragile systems that are down at any moment in time. So you actually need that technology to sort of in real time predict which water systems are going to go down because if, if water systems down, there goes your clean water system. Is that correct? Yeah, it's closer to 10%, but that's right. So kind of think of a well specifically, and I'll just talk about one technology. A well is like a car. Uh, it's going to break down and you're going to need to change the muffler. You're going to need to change the oil. You're going to need to rotate the tires or put on new tires. But if you take good care of it, it can last 25, 30 years. You know, my, my wife's grandparents drive a 22-year-old car. And the thing has 290,000 miles on it. And I think grandfather is actually out right now. Uh, washing the car by hand and talking to it. I mean, he loves this thing. You know, he <laughs> wipes it down. We tried to bring him a hose the other day. Doesn't want the hose on his car. You know, I mean, the thing's probably worth $200 uh, on the used market. But again, he has taken care of this asset. Uh, you know, he's an 80-year-old man. This is how his generation thinks about things, you know. My generation might think, like, we lease a car every three, three years and, like, it's their problem, you know. So uh, that, that's a big part of our job is working with our partners to train communities on how to protect uh, 
uh, to preserve, to maintain this asset over time that is a life-giving asset that is keeping the children in the village healthy, that is providing economic opportunity for the women because when they have the well, they don't have to walk six hours to the faraway swamp or river. Well, you do six, you know, the math of six hours a day times seven days a week because fetching water is not a Monday to Friday gig, right? You don't get water on Saturday. You don't drink on Saturday. So you gave a woman 42 hours back in her week and amazing things start to happen. She starts selling things at the market. She's got a produce stand. She's spending more time with her family, with her children, with her community, uh, leading the community forward. So that's why it's so important that we keep these systems running. Uh, so one of the things I, I mentioned earlier, you know, we've really been working with um, uh, a bunch of labs. We got a $5 million grant from Google to effectively create a smart well, which will notify local technicians when a well is down, they can then go out and make that repair, you know, with a very quick response time. So the, the environment we're moving towards, and again, you know, we're not, we're not there yet, and there's a lot of work to be done, but, you know, imagine if you were living on the Eritrean border of Ethiopia and you dropped your iPhone and the glass shattered. And then the next morning, a little moped uh, turns up in your village and it's a guy with AppleCare shirt on and he says, hey, our sensors told us, Ryan, that you broke the glass on your iPhone. Uh, I'm here to fix it with the glass kit and I need $50, please. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to do with this technology in this loop where a well breaks, a technician's alerted, heads out there with the tools, and then the community itself pays for that repair. So it's sustainable, not us and not our donors. So Scott, uh, you went from nightclubs to $5 million Google grants, and, and now you're an author. And Ber Berman's gone through this process too, writing a book. I think a lot of this is about just education and awareness, right? And so what, what was that book writing process like? How has that been for you? And are people picking it up? What's the response been? It's, it's, it's a bestseller, correct? Yeah, yeah. It, it debuted in the New York Times bestseller list, and we're very fortunate. Um, yeah, it's, it sold very well. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, people ask me a lot, are you going to write another book? I'm like, no! <laughs> it was a two-year process. Uh, I worked with an amazing woman uh, named Lisa Sweetingham in, in um, LA, in the Palisades. And it was a two-year process where, oh gosh, she would interview me for dozens and dozens and dozens of hours. And I would kind of speak out the chapters and experiences. And, you know, she would write a first draft and I would look at it and say, no, 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 I want to completely rewrite the whole thing. And then her editor would say, well, we don't even think this is interesting. Start over. Uh, you know, she came with me to to Uganda. We spent a lot of time together in the back of Land Rovers and um, it was a it was a great great experience having kind of you know someone to to help me organize the thoughts and and create a uh, you know hopefully what was a compelling narrative uh, while I was still running an organization that was growing forty percent a year and you know hiring dozens of new people every single year and I was doing eighty flights uh, during these years that I was writing the book just out there Jeez. speaking in in Africa in India in Asia you know, working with, with our local partners and, and out there telling stories and such. So, you know, one of the things that was important to me was not to make any money off of my life story or, or the, you know, the organization. So, you know, I wound up, you know, turning the entire Penguin Random House advance over to Charity Water, all my author proceeds domestically. And then I said, well, I might as well give everything away internationally when the book started getting translated. So that's the idea is that this is a vehicle to help 
people maybe uh, who feel stuck, who feel lost, uh, who maybe had uh, maybe not a radical nightclub degenerate experience, but, mm. you know, wake up saying, I'm not living, you know, my, my potential. You know, I, I want a life of more purpose. I, I want to be able to help others with the gifts that I've been given. And, you know, I guess my hope on a personal level was that if you read that, if I can do it, you know, I mean, or if it wasn't too late for me, it's definitely not. I mean, maybe unless you're a murderer, you know, like a serial killer. Uh, I just believe it's never too late for people to change. And your past doesn't need to define your future. In fact, all the mistakes of your past can turn into, uh, into power uh, as you move forward. Um, and then, you know, the second purpose of the book was just to tell a bunch of stories of, of my experiences traveling across 69 countries and, and coming face to face with the water crisis and the solutions and really just get people excited and energized about the possibility of solving this problem in our lifetime of actually bringing everybody in the world clean water. You know, I mean, even the, the beauty of the issue, and, and I think what energizes me still 14 years later, is that we know how to help every single human get clean water. So of the 785 million people right now that are drinking dirty water, there's not one person anywhere in the world where we would scratch our head and say, we just don't know how to help them. Well, we just have to leave them drinking dirty water. Now, you know, unlike the vaccine for COVID-19, we got like tens of billions of dollars being invested, the smartest minds from every country in the world. And will we get there? Probably, maybe. To what degree of effectiveness? You know, we, we actually don't know definitively that we can solve this problem. We do know that we can solve the water crisis. So yeah, the book is called Thirst. Uh, you know, it's, again, all the proceeds go to, to Charity Water and um, you know, there's a lot more uh, stories and yeah, there's a lot of just boneheaded mistakes we made. I wanted to be transparent. I wanted to you know, talk about some of the things that didn't go well uh, that you might not have seen from the outside. So there's, you know, there's wells gone dry. There's public humiliations. There's a lawsuit that happened. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a deeper dive into the, the perils maybe of building a hundred million dollar a year organization. Uh, but, but again, you know, what, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, are reflecting on, on what they're doing with their life and, and just being in this current situation and environment is, uh, is challenging. And, and you went through your own personal challenges. So just a piece of advice to people who are thinking about making a big change like you did and, uh, and maybe wanting to get involved and give back, what, what would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, this feels like the perfect time to, to make changes. I mean, you kind of get a free pass <laughs> during four months of, you know, quarantine and COVID-19 and a global pandemic. Uh, it's, it's a great chance to try new things. Um, I'll just give you one example. I mean, Charity Water has a beautiful 25,000 square foot headquarters in Tribeca. We have a virtual reality room. We have 10 foot light boxes. Uh, we got over a million dollars donated to build out our headquarters. Uh, from Samsung and from contractors and, you know, steel case. And we're, uh, we're, we're walking away from our office uh, and we're going to go fully remote through 2021 and then try to reinvent or reimagine what it might look like for Charity Water to take a physical space. We're looking at ground floor retail. We're looking at galleries uh, that might have gone under. We're looking at uh, pop-up shops and exhibitions that might have a mix of, 
team members working and also the public engaging with our stories and, you know, donation platforms. So will we succeed? Will any of this stuff be cool or work? I honestly have no idea, but it's a great time to walk away from, you know, a, a, an expensive real estate market in New York, especially with so many of our employees now uh, having left New York, working remotely and, and working honestly quite efficiently remotely. You know, we, we polled our staff and said, who wants to go back in the office full time? 6%, 6%, 42% uh, said we want to stay fully remote. We're happy never to go back into the office again. Um, you know, about half were, we'd like a hybrid approach. We'd like to do, you know, a couple days uh, of autonomous work online and then we'd like some collaboration spaces. So again, I, I think that's just a, a moment for reinvention. So whether you're trying to reinvent your life or your business, you know, use, you know, nev never waste a crisis, I think somebody said. And it, it may not work, but you know, you're, you're certainly going to get a lot of grace because you did it during this moment. So obviously you didn't think you'd be like in a pandemic year approaching. No, we. oh my gosh, we're going to have our first... First hundred and five million, you know, hundred million dollar plus a year um, this year, and we're going to help over one point five million new people get clean water. So no, this is definitely, uh, you know, took us by by storm. Um, but again, you know, the, the the team is resilient, passionate, committed, and um, you know, we're just looking for opportunities and. You know, I think the spring is, is just one, you know, being able to, I'm, I'm being able to do more of this. I'm, I'm speaking to a 2000 person church next in San Francisco. You know, it's 2000 people who could show up every single month for clean water. So I'm getting just a different set of opportunities to, to talk about this issue. Um, more people are reading, you know, I've had more people write me that have been reading the book recently. And, and, you know, so I'm, we're, we're trying to stay optimistic and hopeful and, and look for the good. Do you feel like, um, I mean, you've been at it for 15 years too. Is there, is there anything else, like you don't have to share it, but like is there else, something else in your mind like, I want to eventually get to do that or at some point want to move out of the, the CEO role and to do something else? You know, I've certainly had uh, job opportunities that would have paid millions and millions of dollars, you know, uh, over the years. I'm really not motivated by money. Um, you know, the, the more, the more money I would make, the more money I would give away. Uh, so that's like, it's not really attractive to go and, you know, 10 X a salary or, you know, hit the lottery in some fast growing tech company that's going to IPO or, you know, or, or, or sell or be acquired. So those, those are most of the opportunities that have come in over the years. And they're just very easy to say no to. I mean, I think about it for about half a second and say, no, I love what I'm doing. Um, would my role change at some point? I mean, it already has. You know, I'm, I'm involved in much less of the day-to-day -day operations. I've got an amazing COO, uh, Lauren Letta. She's been, you know, working with me for nine years. We have an amazing CFO, uh, Aditi Deeg, and she's, you know, leading the, the finance and the auditing and the compliance and like all this stuff that I'm not even good at. Uh, Christoph, as you mentioned, we've been working together for seven plus years. He's leading the global programs. So I'm, I'm already kind of in the uh, ambassador, creative, inventor role by design, which took a long time to get there. So I'm not, you know, I don't have a bunch of one-on-ones on my calendar, which uh, you wouldn't want to do a one-on-one -on -one with me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not a very good manager. 
Um, but I do have a bunch of creative brainstorms on my calendar, which, which I get excited. And I get to talk to, to people like you and, and to, to new audiences and diverse audiences uh, around the world. So now there's really no plan to do anything else. Um, yeah, I've toyed around with the idea of doing a kid's book at some point. You know, I've got a four and a six-year-old and, you know, so little kind of side projects. I knew there was another I, book. I knew there was going to be another book. I don't know. I mean, a kid's book feels accessible. Uh, probably very different than Thirst, but um, I don't know. We, we got 20 chickens at the moment. So I'm kind of enjoying, you know, the life's simple pleasures of, I mean, I bought two books on beekeeping yesterday. How hard can it be to have some bees in the backyard and, and, uh, and you know, give, give some honey away to my friends. I don't know. So I'm, I'm kind of exploring maybe smaller. Uh, I'm just enjoying being in nature and walking among, you know, trees and, you know, floating down the Delaware River on a, on a Sunday with the kids uh, and just being away from kind of the noise and the bustle. And, you know, I mean, Ryan, I was going to JFK every three days. So 85, 90 flights every single year. And the 4.30 a.m. wake-up calls to get on the, you know, 5.45 or 6 a.m. flight to try to make it home to take my kids to school. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, just being home, sleeping in my own bed for a while. Yeah, and, and yeah, I don't miss the flights. I really don't. I, and and I, I miss the missions. Or miss- the Marriott Hotel, right? I mean, the Hiltons <laughs> and the Marriotts and, you know, gosh, I, my wife used to think it was uh, – Christoph and I joke about this um, – you know, our wives would just think it was so glamorous, you know, like we're out at, you know, I don't know, we're in, I don't know, Dhaka, Bangladesh. And, you know, we would just send our wives, we have this string of, uh, I actually forget what the hashtag is. It's like having fun on the road or something of like, you know, the two of us, me sleeping on the floor, you know, in some single room on a cot. And like, I get the floor on Monday and then I get the bed on Tuesday and he gets the floor, you know? So it's, it's not, it's not a very glamorous life on the road as, as you know. <laughs> yeah, but what you're doing is amazing. And uh, however we can help, we will continue to support you guys. And again, the book's called Thirst. Uh, by the way, I did not give any of my proceeds back. I feel like a terrible person. Well, that's all right. You're not running a humanitarian organization, Ryan. So <laughs> it's okay. Your family is, uh, is important. <laughs> Nobody's expecting you to. And, uh, um, and yeah, and, 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 and we encourage people to check out the spring.com. Um, that's probably the single easiest way to just begin engaging with Charity Water. Um, you can become a member in less than 15 seconds. And it's, we're building some really cool tools and, and dynamic products. You know, we're, we're hosting a, a Zoom call tonight with hundreds of our spring members, uh, of our newer spring members, really get initiated with Christoph's team and the details of the programs and just Q&A. So we're really trying to build a, a vibrant community of people uh, and take the opposite approach of, of what a lot have done in the sector, which is set it and forget it. You know, get you to give monthly to the charity and then just make it impossible for you to cancel and hope you forget. You know, we're doing the opposite. We're really trying to win your support every single month with stories of impact, uh, community events, uh, new products that we're rolling out, you know, just on, on your login pages and impact and all that kind of stuff. So check out thespring.com if you're interested in, in learning more about our work and it's, a, it's an easy way to help. Well, we really appreciate the time, Scott, and, and for sharing it. Anywhere else that, that the audience can follow, Instagram, Twitter, yeah, any handles just, you want to share? Just my name and, and Charity Water, but follow Charity Water. It's more interesting than me. Cool. Well, we appreciate it. We'll let you get back to the chickens. And the bees. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for uh, for having me on.
Thanks, Scott. Take care, buddy. Next week on the Courageous Podcast, we're joined by Navy SEAL Jeff Boss. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment. Thank you.